Hello, this is Coach Aaron Saft and the MR Running Pains podcast. And if you haven't seen the title yet, today's episode is with Allison Mercer. Uh, Allison was a previous guest, as you'll hear in this podcast. I believe it was episode 37 with her husband, Ben Mercer. And um, they have gone after multiple FKTs, and we talk about that. But most recently, Allison was the third female to to earn the golden shirt at uh, the Strolling Gym 40-mile race. Now, what does that mean? Well, we're going to talk about that here in the conversation um, because it is. It's super significant. She was the uh, fourth-place overall finisher, second female behind Camille Heron, a most impressive performance. Um, but we don't just talk about uh, the race. We, you know, We talk about everything, everything in our sport, current state, um, you know, some things that Allison's really passionate about, how we can get more female involvement and, and get more female recognition. Um, you know, rightly so this, this was an amazing performance and, you know, honestly, nobody really talked about, um, Camille's performance at strolling gym. Um, and there's reasons behind that. And, and we kind of talk about that in this podcast as well. So, um, I really hope you enjoy this conversation with Allison. I certainly did. And, you know, my hat's off to, to Allison, not only for her performance, but all she does in our community. Thank you, Allison. All right. I have with me on this episode, as I explained in the intro, Allison Mercer. Allison, how are you? I'm doing well. Finally enjoying some Georgia heat. I'm like, summer is in full effect. <laughs> yes. Uh, well, tell us, folks where you're from and, and where you're training right now. I live in Atlanta, Georgia, and I train on the mean streets around here, doing mostly roads and some trails in the Atlanta area or North Georgia, trying to make it up to Asheville. <laughs> uh, and Allison uh, was on a previous episode with her husband, Ben, and that was back on episode 36 when we talked about their uh uh, it was their unsupported, right? Am I thinking right? Unsupported AT uh, section of Georgia? Yes. 76 miles with your husband, the true test of a relationship. <laughs> and they are still married, uh, happily so, which is <laughs> tremendous. Um, Alice has done some some really cool stuff since, so I really want to talk about that too. Um, but um, Allison, just so uh, everybody can kind of get a, a recap of you, uh, you know, if they hadn't listened to episode 36, which I encourage you to go back and listen to, just give us a little bit of uh, background information about you. You said where you're from, but tell us like your age, what you do. Um, yeah. And give us a little bit of your running bio. Sure. I am 39. Um, I'm project manager. So I work from home. So a little flexibility with running, um, grew up in the Atlanta area where I did cross country and swimming and track. Um, your average run-of-the-mill runner, just doing it to stay in shape, um, continued through college um, for fun, nothing, nothing professional. And after college, I worked in TV and, and started getting into marathons, dabbled into that. And then in 2019, started really getting into trails, learning about trails that were five minutes away from my house that I had no idea about. Um, and then once I got into the trail scene, I started hearing about a guy, like you mentioned, my husband, Ben, where we met on the trails and got married on the trails. And then, um, lately I've been getting back into, um, well, 2020, we set some FKTs, like you said, Georgia loop 
and um, Georgia AT and Bartram Trail. And then once races came back, I started back in the marathon, trying to go for the Olympic trials qualifier, um, came up short, but still did well in the race. And then this past couple of weeks did strolling gym and really dabbling in the ultra road distances. <laughs> uh, let's, let's just go back to the uh, Olympic trial standard. So um, for the women, am I correct that it's 245? Is that right? Now it is 237, but back when I was um, looking, it was 245. Okay. So when you were looking, it was 245. And how close did you come? Um, I was, I was uh, eight minutes off. So that was, was that Chickamauga? Yes. Yes. Okay. Um, So you ran a 253, um, which that was your PR? Yes, it was. It was. And, and now when you see um, I had the same thing happen to me, the standard just like, you know, drastically was reduced. Like, what does that do to you? Like your mindset? Like, has it changed? Do you still want to try to get that standard? How do you feel about it? So I did Chickamauga because I was supposed to get and do Indy uh, Marathon where it's nice and flat. And my training was mostly flat running. Plus I was getting ready to launch a building for Amazon. So I was working tirelessly and actually the weekend of Chickamauga was the week my building launched. So um, knowing all that and the stress that I was under um, and Chickamauga had about 1300 feet of climbing in it and it was a smaller race and there was a half marathon going on too. So there's a lot of variables with it. Um, I know that I can do better and just how to train better. And just, I mean, I feel like every race you're learning something new, learning so you can be better the next time. So I'm doing Chicago in the fall and seeing how close I can get to 237, but I would still be happy with a 245 just to see how far I can push myself. Sure. Um, I mean, that's, you know, when I, when my standards were changed, it wasn't by eight minutes. That's quite a significant change. Um, what you would like, what would you attribute that to? I mean, I know there were a lot of women at the Atlanta trials um, and, you know, obviously the super shoes have helped, uh, you know, decrease times in the marathon, especially. Um, is that the reasoning do you think behind dropping it that significantly? I think having that many people qualify, definitely, you know, you're going to have a lower standard and the super shoes. And also I think having such great women uh, role models that are marathoners, you have Molly Sada, you have Kira D'Amato, Alephine, I mean, even Shalane Des, having people and saying, I want to do that. And how many Olympic qualifiers are as open and accessible as the marathon Mm. and having the coverage and social media having women say, I can do that. Let's go for it. I can relate with these women doing hard things. Right. Yeah. Well, and and in some ways that makes it more, um, more competitive as well. Right. We're trying to push boundaries. I mean, we've got the women's world record down to 214 now, which is just incredible. Um, And so, you know, having that, you know, that we want to get the American women to push the, the boundaries more right of, of our, American record, uh, which was just set at Houston. Am I correct in thinking that the American record for the marathon? Oh uh, yeah, Kira Damato, two nineteen. Right, yeah. So two nineteen. We're getting there. I mean, you know, five minutes behind, but you know, American running is, is starting to make a push, and I think that dropping the standard to two thirty seven will 
kind of, you know, force a lot more women to, you know, perhaps train maybe a bit harder to, to push that boundary. Um, I know it did. So on the men's side, you know, when, and when I was trying for the Olympics, it was 222 and they dropped it to 218, which for me was a world away. <laughs> um, you know, it, it just felt like, Oh man, it just feels that that felt unattainable for me. Like I, 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 I said, maybe I could run 222, but when they pushes sub 220 hours like oh that's you know that that feels kind of out the door it wasn't like you know oh i can train harder for that i was just like I, i'm already training at <laughs> at max volume and max intensity um but you know again these days uh it's just it's incredible to see um what has changed in training you know the methodologies um surfaces uh, the technology that we're using like i said but you know with the footwear and everything else uh, there's just so much difference in today's training methodologies uh, and principles that it's it's incredible to see the leaps and bounds that athletes, uh, men and women, are making on you know on these uh, these different distances. So for sure, um, and GPX watches and Strava and all that definitely yeah. helps too. Yes, to see yeah. how athletes are training and seeing you know the method to their madness and how. Right. Right. Yeah. And these are all things that, you know, back, I'll say back in my day, <laughs> I didn't, I didn't have these things. I didn't have a GPS watch. I didn't have Strava, you know, um, I was just going off of, um, you know, Oh, I heard, you know, uh, this guy, Paul Pinkerton, he was like a, you know, a, a marathoner back then. I heard he did this workout. That sounds like it's pretty hard and can, you know, help my marathon time. So, uh, you know, reading runner's world or at the time running times, you know, picking articles up and, and, you know, now it's, we have this information dump because of the internet, right? It's, it's, you know, there's so much out there that everybody can attain and, and the ways of communicating. It's just, it's great that we have such an open community that wants to, you know, kind of help improve. Now, you know, some people stay private and that's fine. That's their choice. And some coaches are the same. Um, but you know, it is great when we have a community that will share in order to benefit, you know, the whole. So, um, and then, um, on the other side of things too, you are also a part of fastest known time. Is that correct? It is. Yes. Um, back in 2020, um, they were looking to expand because fastest no time with no races, people were starting to go after all these records. They want to stay competitive. They want to still have that feel of reaching for a goal. And Ben and I listened to the podcast and obviously are big fans of fastest known times. Um, and they said, Hey, we need more help. So I reached out to Buzz and Peter and said, Hey, I want to be a regional editor for the Southeast. I feel like I'm dialed into the community um, and want to help. Uh, at that time, I was laid off from my job due to COVID and had a little bit more free time and wanted to give back. And unfortunately, the original editor position was already filled. And But Buzz said, hey, would you like to answer email questions? And you seem very knowledgeable or know how to find the answer. Can you help out? So I was like, I'll be delighted and started helping them also helping with their social media because I saw when other notable things would happen, I was like, why don't you promote that? Or why aren't you doing that? And those guys are not very involved in social media. They're too busy out in the mountains doing <laughs> their own thing, which props to them. And it's huge. Um, they're like, do you want to do it? And I was like, sure. So I started helping with their social media efforts, promotions, um, partnerships, sales, and just helping raise money for the site because it's all 
at that time, um, donation-based and crowdsourced. So just any way to keep the lights on, as you know, having a podcast, a newsletter, um, <laughs> doing the website, maintenance takes a lot. It does. It does. Yeah. Um, and you have also made the transition over to the, the new owners, which is that um, Outdoor Media? Uh, pocket yes, outdoor media, um, that- Outside Magazine mm-hmm. um, took over in March and it's definitely been a transition. But once again, I'm still part of the answering the questions and social media and more. They're looking more to enhance the tech aspect, enhance the website and give it a more updated look because it's so overwhelming. The amount of routes and FKT submissions and ways to make the um website more interactive the maps there's so many ways that we can upgrade and they have the resources to help it with Gaia and every other enhancement that outside has so outside owns Gaia as well correct I got you wow um and so um you know uh, uh, as you mentioned the podcast earlier do they have any um aspirations of continuing the podcast yes you will see some things coming soon cool cool that's great yeah it's I, I enjoy that podcast as well. Uh, I thought Buzz did a great job. I love his uh, his interviewing process. He's just a very intelligent interviewer, and uh, I, I, he asked some great questions. And I, I really enjoyed listening to Buzz. So I'm, I'm sorry he won't be. Uh, I mean, I expect that he won't be a part of that going forward. But um, we'll, I guess we'll see. <laughs> um, yes. So um, on to you and your experience, um, Strolling Jim. For those that are not familiar with Strolling Jim, can you give us uh, some insight into the race? Where is it? Uh, what is the you know format, et cetera? Just go ahead and explain Strolling Jim to us. Strolling Jim is, it's called the Strolling Jim 40, but it is really 41.2 miles in War Trace, Tennessee, which is, I would say, halfway in between Chattanooga and Nashville. And it is a road race. But when you think roads, you think, oh, not a big deal, not a lot of climbs. But it is, there are climbs. <laughs> and it has been, it has been going around for 44 years by Laz- Gary Carantrell, Lazarus Lake from Berkeley, Biggs fame. And he put on a road race as a part of um, just another ultra distance. There weren't many back then. Atlanta Track Club actually had one, but they wanted to have one um, in Tennessee. And they named it after, I believe, a horse um, because it, it's the first weekend in May, same time as the Kentucky Derby, and did it in honor. And they've been doing it ever since. That's cool. Um, and you said this has, you know, some, some good climbs and stuff. Do you, what is the uh, total elevation gain on this one? Um, 3,300 feet, but really they say there's just four climbs. And one thing about the race is you think road races, you think cones, you think sectioned off. No, you know where you are based on the spray paint where you see arrows <laughs> on the roads. And there are definitely a lot of clever, um, sayings on the road like this is not a hill and then you get to a climb that was a hill or don't walk wimp this is a road race (laughs) and also knowing what distance you're at too but it's definitely one of those 
races where you have to pay attention. You don't have the signs. You don't have the typical um, road race feels. It felt more like a, a trail race. Right on. Oh my goodness. And, and Tennessee um, can be pretty warm, you know, um, getting to this time of year. Uh, what were race day temps? Actually, it was prob- It was perfect. It was lows in the 50s and it didn't get above 60. Um, it was overcast. I mean, you couldn't ask for a better race day, especially because when you get to the end of the race around mile 30 on, you're pretty exposed. In the beginning, you have some tree line cover, especially in May, but the last two miles are on a highway where you are fully exposed, where you have more of a ball state feel, where you're just on the roads, totally exposed to the elements. So I can only imagine just being that far in a race and then just get straight heat as it starts at eight in the morning. Mm. So it's not like you get the early start where you can finish before the peak of the day. Gotcha. My goodness. And, um, the, it's pretty cool, uh, crewing, um, there it's kind of a, a different, uh, way for crewing in this race. Can you talk about the, what they allow in this race? For sure. So given, um, usually there's just jugs at the side of the road. They had some aid stations. The, um, race actually benefits a local high school. So um, you had some high schoolers at the aid stations, but what they allow is your crew can meet you at any point in the race. They can pull off to the side. Mind you, the shoulders on some of the roads are very limited, um, which also adds to the race and and navigating cars and stray dogs. Um, (laughs) But your crew can meet you at any point. So what I did is... um, Ben and I drove the course the day before a, so I wouldn't get lost because I've been known to get lost at five Ks <laughs> to know where the turns are, where the climbs are and the different points in the race and where he can turn off. So that's key for success. Where to get your bottles, when to hand off, because if you rely on some of the aid, you know, you may not get what you want and really be able to focus in. Wow. That's, I mean, that's pretty cool. Um, kudos to you guys for, for getting ahead of it and <laughs> checking it out. Um, so, uh, you also had a surprise. It looked like, uh, you texted me the week of the race. Uh, do you want to talk about, uh, who entered kind of, it seemed like that was a last minute entry. No, it was. <laughs> so, um, the race has a prize for, if you set the course record last year, Zach Beaven broke the course record and had an absolute clinic of a race. 543 average on that course is absolutely incredible. And it was, he got, I believe, $5,000. And mind you, people have been going after the record and it had stood for 30 years. Incredible. Um, And always joking. And I hired another coach, um, Janice Anderson, who had three of the top 10 times on the course. And so when I set off to do it, I got really serious because I wanted to break the course record and it was $3,000 for women. And jokingly, um, I said to her and also Ben, why wouldn't Camille Heron do this? She's one comrades. She's a whiz on the roads. Um, this is right up her alley. 
And we're just like, well, her schedule, who knows? And lo and behold, the Thursday before the race, <laughs> Ben comes upstairs to me and goes, I have some bad news. And I'm like, this race canceled. We were getting some weather. I didn't know. And he goes, Camille Heron has entered the race. <laughs> and I was just like, oh my gosh. Well, there goes that. But then it was kind of like, no, that's great. Um, I Once again, like I said, I'm a huge proponent of women in the sport, promoting women, doing ultras. Um, so I was like, that's good for the sport. Let her, you know, compete. I have someone to chase. I have someone to look up to and kind of rise to the occasion. And, and as you said, run your race. You don't know. She has Western States coming up. If she's not feeling the hills, she may underestimate the course. Who knows? Anything can happen on race day. Absolutely. So just give it my all. Right. But, right. Um, can we go back to something you said too? Um, so um, just curious if you have any insight. The um, You said that the men's course record offered a $5,000 um, bonus, but the women's offered 3000. Is that just due to how long the record had stood or was there something else behind that? Yes. Um, the previous women's record was, um, set in 2011. So every year the price, uh, the purse comes up. Okay. So it was up to 3000 that year. I see. Okay. Gotcha. So now, uh, well, we'll talk about the results, but with Zach uh, Bevan having breaking, broken that record, I imagine this year was pretty low if they broke the course record or no? Correct. It, I think it was, I mean, it's still $1,000, which isn't a bad payday, but yes, sure. it resets once it's broken. And Zach Bevan, um, he was the 100K US champ this year. Is that correct? At Mad Correct. City? He got yeah. second at JFK last year to Adam Peterman. Um, and he just won the hundred K championships in Mad, uh, Mad City Ultras, um, set several FKTs. He, I believe he's a two eighteen marathoner. I mean, he's an incredible athlete. Yeah, absolutely. That's incredible. Um, can you talk about, um, you know, we're, you're just saying how we want to enhance the women's field, you know, at Hellbender, we were trying to do the same thing. What were the numbers like just in women's participants in this, in this field? Um, yes. I mean, after listening to the podcast with Marissa, for women to be on podiums, the ultras and overall, it's so huge. Last week at Cruel Jewel, seeing women in the um, second place overall in the 50, Sandy Lamb. It's incredible and it needs to be advertised and women need to know they can do hard things too. So um, it's so incredible. And um but the numbers are so low, even looking at, you know, the entry list. And I know Laz has a reputation and um, everything else, or, you know, women just don't think they can, I don't know what it is. Um, they don't think about it. Um, but I would say there was about 160 and I would say 40 women. Okay. Which so is so be, low. So that would be a quarter, right? Am I thinking right? 40. Mm -hmm. So that's, I mean, that's higher than the national average. So that's, mm -hmm. you know, that's, I mean, I re I recognize that it's not half and that's, you know, we, we would love to see those numbers be equal, right. Men to women, or even more women than men, but um, you know, it's, it's definitely higher than the national average, which, you know, kudos to, <laughs> to them for getting that much. I mean, we were at Hellbender, uh, we had um, 40, 
47. So we were, we were even lower. We were 30 something percent, but that was over double what we had ever, you know? So um, yeah, it's, I mean, it's something, a conversation, and that's why I bring it up. It's a conversation that I am trying to continue to evolve and, and understand and, and listen to hear how can we bring more women into not only our sport, but to these, these races that, you know, traditionally don't have as many women. Um, so, it, I mean, it's great to see that you and Camille, you know, I, your time was phenomenal and we'll talk about that. And uh, obviously Camille's time, as you said, was, was blistering. Um, but um, yeah, it's, I, you know, I, I'm, I'm curious to hear if you have any insight as to, um, you know, what, what are some ways in which we can, you know, bring to light to say, Hey, you know, we need to have more, more numbers or what should races be doing to say, you know, Hey, we would like more women. I think just having people like Camille or, um, Marissa that, they can do hard things. I'm a co-leader of Trail Sisters in Atlanta, and there's chapters all over encouraging women to do the trails and feeling comfortable. So I think having organizations like that, that are promoting women on the trails, that it's okay, you won't get lost, you won't roll an ankle. I mean, I've done both, so it happens, but just to remove the barriers to entry, I think, and just awareness because um up until a few years ago I didn't know about strolling gym I didn't know about hellbender um and having the way to make it accessible to anyone and just have that idea that hey if if she can do it I can do it and just I think just having that promotion and those role models to do it so I think that's huge and maybe offering childcare. I think making it, it just removing barriers. So just saying like with uh, Sophie, like if they need to pump, if they need some help, how we can, we can help women get on the trails or doing harder things. Yep. Uh, one of my next podcasts is on diversity, uh, you know, not just inclusion of, of gender, but of race as well. Um, I had a great conversation after Hellbender with a, a, a woman that, um, I, gosh, I forget what her heritage is, but anyhow, she, um, you know, she was asking me questions and I was telling her my thoughts. And I also had a conversation, um, with, you know, um, Natalie Daniel, her husband is involved with black men run and just hearing that they have, they're intimidated by trail races. Like they're, you know, they're, they have apprehension for, for going and doing a trail race just because they don't know what to expect or what's going to happen. And so my thought as an RD is, well, why don't we engage with them and say, why don't you come and just volunteer right to whatever capacity that is, whether they're at an aid station and just kind of see what, what's going on, uh, you know, or, um, you know, allowing them to, to come out and just kind of do a course preview with, with all the runners and stuff but just kind of maybe take away some of those inhibitions, right? Take away some of that fear. Um, so, uh, you know, at, but at first I think you have to in, invite folks <laughs> and, and that's, you know, again, what we were trying to do with Hellbender is we were trying to invite, you know, women to, to engage and to, to register. Um, I spoke with um, Jenny Baker who does the Georgia jewel. Uh, she was managing one of my aid stations with her husband, Franklin. And I, she does such a, a, a bang up job with, you know, getting women involved and, 
and boosting, you know, the, the number of women's participants. So I, I started asking her questions like, well, how do you, you know, how do you do things? How do you suggest we can evolve Hellbender to, you know, to start bumping up numbers and stuff. So, you know, I think it's, it starts with conversations, right? Simple enough, like having conversations with, and, and as you said, there's a number of chapters with trail sisters and we engage trail sisters, trail sisters help run Jenny's aid station. They took, you know, there were three shifts and, and, uh, trail sisters took one of the shifts and help with the other. So it's, um, you know, I think that that engagement is, is the beginning is the foundation really of, you know, getting people to come out, um, so, um, but it's interesting. I, I wonder, um, do you, did you see anything that they did for a strolling gym that would perhaps engage that, um, that community that, you know, that, uh, the women or even, you know, uh, different races. Well, one thing I love about Ginny Baker and with Georgia Jewel is she offered a discount entry to encourage more women to participate, especially with, different organizations and other races where women's participation hard rock is limited. And so I love what she does of removing those barriers and actively um, engaging the community and how, because that's another thing we do with FKTs is how do we get, where's 20% of FKTs are set by women and how do we engage more women to do it? There's different groups that advocate for them and promote them. And I've been working with them and making, raising awareness, like you say, and helping remove the barriers. And when women have questions, answering their questions, removing any fears or apprehensions and, and making sure that they feel comfortable. So that's huge. Um, with strolling gym, I think, um, for me, I think it's having two women go sub five and showing that women can do hard things. And I think having the support of my husband and his family makes you feel at home and that you're never alone. They know where you are. They know the route you're taking and, or just doing it with a friend. There were a lot of groups when I saw Sterling Gym also has a 10K I think a half and a marathon option. Um, so I would pass the marathoners and a lot of them would do them in groups. Volunteering for Cool Jewel last weekend with the hundred, um, having your pacer, doing it with a friend, other women, um, having groups do it together, um, making it an adventure and also doing your training in groups. I mean, that's how I got started in marathons was with um, a training group of three other women. And just having the camaraderie and the support and encouragement. Helps and I too. Think I, I, those are all great points. Uh, I think another thing that um, you know I, I, I would love to start seeing, and this is you know, part of Hellbender, is that yeah, so yes, my 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 title is race director, right? But I, I have a great team, and a lot of my team are females, and they give me a lot of insight and a lot of feedback and ideas, you know, why don't we try this? You know, like if, if I were signing up, this is what I would want to see. So, you know, it's not just coming from, from Aaron, <laughs> you know, cause Aaron is, you know, he's, he only has limited sight, right? He's, I'm not a female. <laughs> and I, I like, you know, when I register for races, I'm looking at it from a different lens, right? But having those females engaged in the process has really opened up my line of vision as to, 
yes, this would make it more inclusive. And I think the other piece of it too, is that we are starting to see more and more female RDs, which is really going to help open up our sport. Now, Michelle Hartwig, she's um, out of Ornery Mule Racing, uh, obviously Jenny Baker, the, you know, these are great resources. So, you know, if a female is really interested in, in putting on a race and, uh, you know, it has intimidating, it, it, it never hurts to reach out to anyone right? Myself included, but you've got these great mentors that have been doing these races for a number of years and do a great job. Don't hesitate to reach out to these people and say, Hey, like, how do I do this? Um, you know, and, uh, that Amy Rusecki, she's another great example up in Vermont, you know, she's, she's Jenny Kelly. Yep. So we've got some really great women that are involved in the sport. And I think, and then I encourage any woman that's interested, um, in, in putting on an event, reach out to these folks. And again, like myself included, if you have questions, I'm always here to answer questions, but you know, you've got some great people that can mentor. So absolutely. Um, you have or anything just getting else? into running. If yeah. you have questions about trails or some, there's so many resources, heck, reach out to me. I may not know the answer, but I have resources and I'm used to answering questions. So the, the accessibility and not being afraid to ask the questions too. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you. Um, so let's, let's talk about your race a little bit. <laughs> so, um, you said that the weather was great. You couldn't ask for better conditions. Um, did your, um, well, let's just go over pre-race plan. What was your, your plan for, for this race? Did you have a pacing strategy? Um, did that change once you found out that Camille got into the race, anything? Um, so my, the biggest thing was don't give it your all in the, the typical race. Don't run your race in the first 10 K, <laughs> you know, I guess yes. you could say it's a double marathon, not a sprint. Yep. Um, but just to run my race, feel confident, know that I did the training. I did the work, um, and just the belief. And, um, at first I had talked to, um, Harvey Lewis, um, who had run it before. And, um, he just said, you know, I'm going to run faster. Um, I was going to kind of pace off of him, but, um, and then just see where it went because I was really worried about getting lost. I was really worried about just the distance. Sure. I hadn't done an ultra distance in about a year and a half, but, um, and there were just so many uncontrollables, but just, mm -hmm. um, you know, knowing it after driving the course, getting a feel for it and, um, just this calmness of just running my own race and not focusing on Camille, not focusing on the record, but just be proud of just getting to the start line. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it, always an interesting question. Uh, what footwear did you go with? <laughs> I um, went actually with the Hoka carbon X threes oh, that just came out. So um, there's a lot more midsole cushion than the, twos which um and it's not as firm which really helped a lot really loved the shoe nice did they stay with like an eva based or did they switch over to a p-backs i haven't seen the threes yet i have no idea i should know this <laughs> uh, but um i just know that it's more of a mesh too um outsole or overlay whatever um last and um just felt more like the new balance what new balance is going with okay um 
But yeah, I mean, I was really wondering what I would want to use, especially for that distance where I knew um, I run in mostly Hoka's. I didn't want to do the Rocket X because I'm like, that will tear it up. <laughs> Clifton's might be a little bit, I didn't know how slick it would be with the rain and everything. Um, so I went with the threes. I um, tried them on, went for a run in them. I don't train in the carbon plated shoes. I don't do my long runs or any speed work. So I just went out and I was like, I like these. They're kind of snappy. Um, they're light. Let's go with it. Nice. So it was really just, you didn't get really any training runs in them. It just, they felt good on the feet. So you're like, we're going to go with these race day. That's, that was how you went through. Yep. I went through, I did two runs in them okay. and said, okay, um, I like them. They have <laughs> midsole feel good. Let's rock. And so, uh, anybody listening, when I asked about the, the foam materials, uh, EVA is your traditional foam that we've seen in, in shoes for years. PBAX is the new foam in which they're using in like the Nikes, the Vaporflies, the, you know, the next percents, that's the, the foam that's giving the most energy return. That's what's really, you know, making these shoes the faster, um, you know, the faster technology. Um, so the past two editions of the carbon X have been just uh, kind of a blended EVA. So they, they're not technically a super shoe, uh, even though they have a carbon plate, the, the, they're saying the foam is really what makes these super shoes. Um, but it's, uh, you know, it's super important for it to be comfortable. Um, you know, I, I did a half marathon and I looked at everybody's footwear around me and they were, you know, 4% and, and whatever Nike's super shoe was. And <laughs> here I am, I was also wearing a carbon X. Um, I think I was wearing just the original carbon X and this was like right before COVID. Um, but it's amazing. Did you look around at everybody else's footwear just to kind of see, I, I I'm like a shoe geek. So, <laughs> oh, of course. Um, I work, um, every so often at a local running store in Atlanta, big peach. So the first thing you look at is shoes. <laughs> and I was wondering how many vapor flies I would see, how many other, um, racing flats and just interested to see what people went with. I saw a couple of the, um, new ultra carbon plated shoe. Um, but, and some people like, um, Camille was wearing ring cons, the Hoka Brin cons, which mm -hmm. I think is very interesting because mm -hmm. I can barely get a hundred or 200 miles in, but she's very light on her feet. So, and she and loves she them and they're very lightweight. <laughs> yes. Um, and definitely was curious, a lot of carbon X's. Um, but usually it's interesting to see the people that are super serious up in the front are wearing the vapor flies and you can hear them because um, they're just, they sound like car Clydesdales. So <laughs> usually know if someone's coming up on me, I can hear the vapor flies and the same with the ultras. But um, yeah, I was very curious. Someone was wearing like trail shoes and I'm like, do they realize there's no trails on this? <laughs> um, but yeah, that's it interesting. It is. And, you know, it, it will be interesting to see uh, if there are any lasting effects of these shoes because of just as you said it sounds like Clydesdales because these people uh they're coming down exponentially harder because they don't realize you know the impact their foot is having uh you know their foot's kind of searching for the ground so it can get that proprioception that the you know your uh elastic effect of the um the fascia of the foot but the, you know the shoe is so thick that it's really hard for the foot to you know get that effect because of you know the shoe does everything for you 
um, but the, the foot's still going to look for the ground. So the impact forces are harder. And, and that's why we hear these like, you know, really, you know, loud uh, foot strikes. My, my kids in track, they all wear the Nike tempos, um, mm. which, you know, kind of dumbed down version of the vapor flies, but they're so thick, you know, when they're running, it's just, it, I'm like, you're really striking hard, like, you know, and your foot's going to spend extra time on the ground because of that impact. It's really foot's going to kind of kind of compress the foam because you're hitting so hard and you're going to have longer ground contact time. So, uh, you know, it's, I've, I've been trying to, to, to work through some of these things now, you know, the vapor fly is going to help again with that transition because of the way the shoes are designed. But anyway, uh, I digress. <laughs> I also was worried about rolling my ankle in them because the stack height and everything, and you're making turns, mm. you're kind of following tangents. Um, I tried them on um, and I'm just like, I don't feel stable in them. Mm. I mean, I already fall enough. Mm -hmm. um, you could see the scars on my knees and trail running and everything. And I'm just like, I want something that's a little lower to the ground that I feel stable yes. in because yeah. you literally feel like you're on pogo sticks oh, on totally. them. And, and those people that have IT band, uh, syndrome and, and problems with oh. the IT band, they are so structured and rigid that it really can, you know, inflame that IT band. Um, so if, if you're using those and you're really feeling your IT band, it's most likely that it's, it's too much of a structured shoe for you. That plate is just, you know, creating too much rigidity for you, but I'm sorry, you were, you were saying, I didn't mean to. Oh, yeah. So I would be just so worried about rolling an ankle or something wearing those shoes. And, um, one guy actually, before we crossed um, highway in the race, it's like mile 11, he was on the side of the road because his ankles were just already done. Oof. And I was just like, cause he came up and he zoomed right by me. And I'm like, all right, bye. <laughs> and I was just like, don't let it get to you. Just let him do it. And then he didn't even make it to the highway. And I'm just like, Oof. Oh man. Oh, so, uh, so obviously you, you got underway. Um, when you're, uh, uh, you're, let's say you're, cause you said, don't, don't mess up the first 10 K. So obviously the first 10 K went okay. Um, so, um, you know, after that first 10 K, you know, can you continue the process? How are we doing here? <laughs> so, yeah. So we start, um, Camille, you know, zooms ahead and I'm just like, run your race. I start with, um, a couple other guys and they're kind of chatting and I'm just like, I don't really want to chat. They're asking me where I'm from and everything just to, <laughs> kind of get comfortable and and whatever and i'm just like usually i am a talker i will talk your ear off in a long run um ben said the first time we ever ran together i made his ears bleed from running or from talking so much <laughs> but in a race i'm like i don't want to use my energy i want to you know dial in and then they went on ahead i was i was just telling myself run your race run your race and every five miles, I would see Ben and his parents and just swap bottles. He would ask me how I'm doing, if I needed extra gels. He would squirt me with the water bottle, whatever I needed just to keep going. And was at every climb. And I just stayed. I didn't really look at my watch because after mile 13, after the first real big climb, I was just like, oh my gosh can I really make it another marathon? I don't know. But I was like, keep drinking, keep eating just the typical ultra style of just get through it. Keep focused. Um, cause I was running alone. Most of it. I didn't really see anyone. I was just kind of doing my own little thing. And, um, 
it was funny after, I think it was, ha- it was the half marathon point. I saw Laz, he was asking for our, our bib numbers. Cause I didn't realize they were taking splits. I just, you know, everyone's like, Oh, how do we track you? How do they track you? Because I had been preparing a lot for the race and was really excited about it. Really wanted to do well. Um, so people were excited. But I was like, I don't know, like, <laughs> will we even have race bibs? Like, I like any kind of map, like, I don't know. Um, and so marathon, we went through, I saw him um, and they were, he was like, oh, you're four minutes back from Camille, like letting us know where we were, which wow. was pretty cool. Yeah. Um, and then last started knowing my name. He was like, <laughs> way to go, Allison. And I'm just like, how, what? how does Raz know my name? And I'm like, hi dear. Like just kind of just focused, just kept on, you know, just on the prize because after a marathon, I was like, "Eh, what's 14 miles. (laughs) It's funny how our our mentality changes in ultras where you just have to kind of divide it up. I was like, I'll divide it into kind of two twenties and then just kind of count down. And, and then I looked at my watch, I looked at the time and I was like, Ooh, 305. And then I went through the 50K and like 345. And I was, I knew the course record was probably out. I didn't see Camille. I assumed she had gone ahead. And then I was like, all right, I think I could get the the gold shirt. And, um, you know, just kept on going through. I passed some people and, um, you know, was very encouraged. And I just kept powering through, powering through. Um, after mile 35, my IT, my adductors were kind of just like, the downhills really got to me and in my form. And I was just how I was striking. I was like, oh gosh, I can still get the blue shirt. I was kind of just rationalizing. But then when I hit the last two miles, you take a turn, you know, you have two miles left. I looked at my watch. I saw 442. I was like, all right, I can do two, two miles in less than 18 minutes. And I just booked it. (laughs) I had another gel, even with two miles to go and just ran like the wind and knew, all right, we've seen this. Let's go. Um, And then I saw Ben close to the finish. I ran through the finish, saw the clock say 4.56 and just started crying. Oh, because <laughs> I knew, holy cow, I did it. That's fantastic. Oh my goodness. Yes. Congratulations. You ended up with the number three all-time female uh, time overall, uh, which is tremendous. And if I did my math correctly, it averaged out to about 7.20 per mile, somewhere around there. Does that sound right? Oh. 717. 717. That's what Strava said. Um, we'll go with I that. got 40.6. <laughs> um, so yeah, so with that course is, you know, people probably think, oh, it's okay. But that course can just absolutely um, just destroy you. <laughs> so to maintain, especially at the end and just have legs to run, it was incredible. So and just to polish that off, you were second female, right? Mm-hmm. But third overall, is that right? Fourth overall. Fourth overall, excuse me. Nice. That's well, still incredible um, mm-hmm. yeah, for sure. Uh, and you, I just want to go back to something you said because it, that you mentioned something. You broke this course up into two 20-mile sections. You chose to chunk it into two 20-mile sections, mm-hmm. um, which I think is great for any race, marathon, 
you know, ultra races, you chunk your race up, however you divide it. You decided on 220 miles. In retrospect, would you have divided it differently in any way? No, because like my longest run was 25 miles and then I would do 12 the next day and kind of just make it more attainable because you just think 40 miles. Oh my gosh, what am I going to do? So to break it up and then also know that the last 10 K isn't so bad. I also looked at it at that point too, where if I'm getting through and knowing when each hill was and saying, all right, check, got through that one, check, got off through the next. hill, check, got off through that, you know, and saying, all right, it's going to be easy. It's going to get better. It's going to get better. Oh, you're seeing this. Oh, you're seeing that. Um, and just kind of saying, I can do hard things. I got this, got through another one. You're going to finish this. Cause, yeah. um, you know, at first when you have a goal time, I didn't, I should have looked at my watch more, but in the time, my goal was when you can run, run, don't run out of it and doing so many pace miles too. And knowing how that felt, like, I know for coaching, you go a lot on RPE. Mm-hmm. And so I knew what this effort felt like. Good. I didn't need to look at my watch to know because we all know watches can make mistakes and they can say, hey, you're doing a 10 minute mile when you're really doing a seven minute mile. But to Mm -hmm. know what that effort felt like really helped. I I totally agree. And I think the other thing that watches can do is uh, it takes us out of the present moment. Right. We we lose our connection to the race by looking Mm -hmm. at our watch. We it 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 takes us and we, we may lose focus. Right. Um, because you're seeing a data point and your brain's processing it where, you know, you should just be focusing on your running, right? Even that just little glance down at the, um, at your watch, it's, it starts triggering something in your brain. And whereas you should just be focused on, you know, how am I doing right now? Do I need anything right now? Do I need a drink? Do I need calories, you know, et cetera. Um, so, um, we'll just, just talk about you, you know, you, you did a tremendous race. That's for sure. I, once again, congratulations on four fifty six twenty two was, uh, excuse me, 32 was, uh, was final, uh, time and fourth place overall second female, um, Camille won overall, um, which was incredible. Uh, as you said, she set a new course record and, um, her time was, uh, oh, I thought I had written it down. Um, do you remember her 444. Time? 444. Oh my gosh. Just incredible. So, I mean, you know, you're 12 minutes back off of Camille. That's incredible. 12 and a half minutes, uh, over the course of 40 miles that had him feel good. Oh, beyond. And the thing is, um, you know, listening to Marissa's podcast of being so new to that distance and not knowing really how to run it. Hmm. You know, I look in my head and I'm like, Oh, I wish I had done that. Oh, I wish I had done that. Um, you know, you learn what to do better, how to improve and what to do. But honestly, I have to be happy and I have to take a step back and be proud of doing that distance, running a smart race, um, pushing when I needed to. And, you know, also just being so grateful to toe a line, to be healthy, to have a support system. I mean, I literally could not have done it without Ben and his parents crewing going to different spots, cheering the encouragement. And um, Ben actually signed me up for Valentine's Day for this race because he knew I could do well at this. 
he saw me signing up for five and 10 Ks and was like, you're running the same pace as you are in your half, in your marathon. You have a knack for long distance. You need to go for it. So to have a partner that believes in you, a running community that believes in you, I can't um, emphasize it enough. And that's why, you know, last weekend we're volunteering, recruiting for others and to just have that sense of um, community pride, I think is just instrumental in success. Absolutely. Yes. Good job, Ben. Um, so you said you, you did have some, some lessons learned. Uh, did you have any major takeaways, anything that you would say, um, I might do this next time or advice you might give others? So, yeah. So I would say about a month and a half before I wasn't doing as much hill training and I was going to about to go for a long run in a probably flatter area. And Ben goes, you need to do more hills. You know, this course is hilly. You need to train on hills. So um, doing a lot more hills and a lot more strength work, because I think my hamstrings and my quads and doing the downhills, I did some downhills, but doing more downhills and more tougher climbs, doing more like um, regular runs and then just doing hill repeats, just getting the ups, the downs. Um, Nutrition was great. The bottles were great. I mean, I never had oh, my stomach or any kind of issues. Um, I think the most is just doing more, more hill work and, and just the self-belief now that I can do it, I think helps you so much in a race in that distance and, and not being intimidated by it. Yeah, absolutely. And, and, you know, Ben's right. Like, you know, as you get closer to the race, you want to be more specific to what you're going to race, right. That you you want to train to the course. Uh, which in your case was more hills up and down. Um, so yeah, those, those final weeks before your taper, that's, those are the weeks you want to be specific to your race, especially, you know, during your long runs and workouts, you want to make those tailored to what you're going to face on the race course. Um, that's brilliant. Awesome. Um, it, we, uh, we'd be remiss not to talk a little bit about Laz, uh, Gary Cantrell. Um, I've never met Laz, uh, you know, it's, he's, he's done some amazing things, uh, within the ultra world and, you know, for the ultra world. Um, yeah. After having, you know, got to, to met him, what were your impressions? I mean, I had, you know, once again, his stake uh, or his stance on Barkley about no women finishing it and kind of like, you know, and also in 2020 with the whole black lives matter group and, and, you know, avoiding them from the race. I had a lot of apprehensions. Should we be supporting a race involved with him? Should we be doing this? I um, was very cautious, but I also made me have a chip on my shoulder when I saw him because I was like, he's probably thinking, Oh, she's probably going to fan out. She's going to burn out, you know, whatever. And it kind of made me go, no, I want to prove I want to prove I'm wrong. I want to do this. I want to do that. You know, it kind of made me more fired up. And Ben, Ben will tell you, I run on a lot of rage. Sometimes I run (laughs) very um, passionately. So I'm competitive. I want to do the best and I want to prove people wrong because you know, growing up, I was picked last on dodgeball. No one ever really gave me a lot of, um, credit to my running. And I still kind of doubt 
what I can do. And, and so I, I kind of like, I want to prove it. I want to do it. But as the race went on and he started saying my name, he talked to Ben a lot asking about me because he was just like, who is this girl? Like I was an unknown. Mm-hmm. You knew Harvey, you knew Camille. Um, the other guy, the other man, John, that was in the top, um, spot had done the race three times, had three, three shirts, you know, was second to Zach last year. Um, and then he actually went to Ben at one point was like, does she know that I'm affiliated with the race? Does she know who I am? Cause I was just so focused and so determined. Um, but he couldn't have been nicer and just how many, like you said, you know, a lot, how many race directors, he was literally at every point driving his car, um, sticking his thumb out with a thumbs up, cheering on the racers. He was there during pack a pickup, taking pictures, talking to anyone after just loves running, loves the community. He's not doing it for profit. He's not doing it, um, for his own ego. Um, he just loves running. Like there's, it's not like it's a hard race entry to get into. I mean, it's hard to get into Biggs or Barkley because it's all submission, but he's not asking a huge race entry. He's not doing it to, um, you know, gain a profit. Look at the uh, virtual runner on uh, America where he donated over $200,000 to feed America. Mm-hmm. Um, so meeting him and just seeing the passion he has for the runners and all that really changed my perspective. And I was just so amazed his report afterward Um, where he said she ran and she found the magic and it was the most like the best performance he had seen compared to Camille or Harvey is such a compliment so it definitely switched my perspective of him and um you know I was you know I was like I was wrong you know I you can't just judge someone based on everything else that you hear so I was very impressed and the race was run so well. Awesome. You know? Yeah. That's great. That's awesome. Um, any final thoughts, closing comments? Um, I just encourage other people to do hard things and, and go outside their comfort zone and, um, and just see what happens. What's the worst that can happen. And, and that's the thing going in, um, you know, with, with seeing Camille or the weather or anything, just give it a try, you know, nothing's on the line, nothing, you know, it's not a big deal if, or whatever, but to say you gave it your all and you tried, it's just like what you said about Hellbender, about the people that, you know, DNF'd, are they any less of a person? They still totally, they still trained, they still worked hard. Um, you know, and just trying to believe in yourself. And, um, you know, I just, I'm very happy and I'm lucky to be in the position that I am. And thank you for letting me ramble about this because yeah, I'm, I, the day after and Ben made me wear my gold shirt at, at Cool Jewel last weekend. (laughs) And it's cool because I, He's like, you should be proud of what you did. You're one of three women to ever do it, you know, and you be proud of what you've accomplished. Can you talk about the gold shirt real quick? Just for those that aren't familiar with gold shirt colors. Yes. So the gold 
Um, so for the Sterling Gym race, the gold shirt is if you get under a certain time, you get a shirt. For sub five hours, you get a gold shirt. For sub six, you get a blue shirt. And I think red, or maybe I'm making that up, but everyone wants a gold shirt, but it doesn't say the year. It doesn't say anything It's about like a men's size large. So (laughs) you see pictures, you see, it's like, I might as well have a dress, Um, (laughs) but it's just, it's so meaningful because not everyone gets it. Not everyone has the ability. I felt like it was like wearing the yellow jacket and the tour de France (laughs) and to be a part of it is you feel like you're a part of an exclusive club. So it was very, it's like sub 24 and an ultra, you know, not many people are part of it. And to think that before this year, only one other woman had been able to do it. And then to have a race where not only did a woman win outright, but there were two women doing it just gives you a sense of pride. Absolutely. And congratulations. Mm -hmm. That's tremendous. So cool. Um, And if people want to connect with you, Allison, what's the best way to do so? Um, Strava, if they want to see a lot of easy runs and (laughs) clever titles, um, (laughs) and also, um, Instagram where usually I'm posting a lot of funny memes and are running. (laughs) What are you, what's your handle at Instagram? Um, it is one woman dance party. Oh, that's right. (laughs) Yeah. Take things super serious. Absolutely. (laughs) Great. Well, I'll put all that in the show notes. Allison, you're amazing. That is tremendous. I'm so happy for you. That was such a great race. So thank you so much for your time and for coming on here today. Thanks, Aaron. And thanks always for the encouragement, the feedback, and just everything and just being a great friend and steward of the community. Thank you. Congratulations. As always, you know, I I say it often and frequently uh, after my conversations with folks. um, But once again, you know, I really want to just say how impressive Allison's performance was, um, how impressive Camille's performance was. Uh, You know, we're talking three women that have earned this golden shirt due to their their time on this course. It's, uh, you know, quite a magnificent uh, performance. So, Congratulations, Allison. Well-deserved and well-earned. Um, so, man, um, <laughs> into, uh, into MR running pains, you know, I've, I've, I've really had time to, to process Hellbender um, and, and kind of sort through the emotions of the race. Um, you know, just, man, I, I really can't tell you um, just how many different <laughs> states of mind and emotion that I went through, um, going through those, um, 40 hours, having the runners out there and, and my worry and concern for the runners, um, you know, and being there at aid stations when, um, you know, folks didn't reach cutoffs. Uh, yeah, I talked about it and I wrote an article about it previously, like how hard that is to, uh, not only for the runner, but for me to see, I understand, you know, what these folks have gone through in training and, um, you know, what the day presented, the challenges that they had just during that day, you know, and I, I don't know what challenges they faced during training. I, I can only, um, you know, listen to their stories and, uh, and be compassionate for the fact that, you know, they, their race would not continue this year. That's just heartbreaking. Um, 
you know, if you've DNF'd in a race, you know how hard that is. And, and from my side of it, it's no easier. Um, when we put on races, or at least when I put on a race, my goal is to see everyone cross the finish line. Now, I know that's not a reality. I know that 100% finish rate at Hellbender is a huge ask, and I don't know if we'll ever see it. I hope we do, um, but it does not make it any easier uh, when somebody does not uh, make it through a, a cutoff. Um, it, it breaks my heart. So processing that and then, you know, seeing my finishers um, and handing them a buckle, um, you know, so many tears were shed. I can tell how hard fought it was, how much it meant just to cross that finish line. Um, you know, I, 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 I cried too. <laughs> I almost cry now just, you know, thinking about folks that were coming across the line, my athletes that came across the line, you know, it's just, uh, I know, you know, both sides. Um, I know I've DNF'd myself. I know that feeling and I, I know the finish feeling. Um, so it's, it's, you know, it's kind of bittersweet, um, in retrospect, when I think back to, uh, to Hellbender, um, even though we had more challenges than I've ever faced as a race director in this race and, you know, we're trying to rectify and make runners safer. Um, that's a huge aspect of this to me. I, um, I've gotten feedback from, you know, volunteers and from, um, aid station captains. And, um, I, I certainly, I love the feedback and I absolutely realize, you know, some of the, uh, some of the dangers and, and safety precautions that need to be put in place so that we make our runners even safer. Um, so, uh, you know, it's going forward. I had a meeting with the, uh, the foundation and I told them of some of my, um, ideas for, for making a safer race, which includes relocating an aid station and perhaps, um, including, um, a shelter with, um, emergency bivvies and perhaps some sleeping bags, just in case we come into the scenario again, in which the temperatures plummet, we have hail and rain. And it's just, um, you know, it's, uh, as I said previously, I just question every moment, whether I made the right decision and I still question, you know, I'm certainly glad, um, and just grateful that nobody was seriously harmed or injured or um, hospitalized uh, or worse, obviously. So, um, you know, there, there isn't one day that I didn't walk past my um, Runner's World article of the China 100K um, incidents. That's that was out. I had it, you know, in full display. And, you know, I, I regard runner safety as one of my top priorities. Um, and, you know, it, it didn't it didn't manifest in this. And that's awful. Um, I, I take full responsibility for that. Um, and, uh, I hope, as I said, I can rectify the situation and, and make it a safer environment. Um, you know, and, um, I hope runners learned uh, as well that, you know, they weren't carrying the equipment that I asked them to carry. Um, so, you know, part of it is just making sure we have the proper equipment and then, and being safe, you know, um, it's, you know, it's, it's hard to, to make the wording right. I know, um, you know, legality of everything, that's what comes into here and it, it shouldn't, you know, uh, we shouldn't have to say you have to have this on you. It's, you know, uh, I know it can be different weather on this course, but, um, but yeah, I, I just hope that everybody, you know, can take away something from this message in that if you see something that is in the race that says, we suggest you have this gear. Please have that gear. Um, you know, it's 
there's there's a ton of safety issues that um, you know it's there's only there's only so much that we can do during the race if if you don't have the proper equipment either you know we're we're trying to keep you as safe as possible but you share in the responsibility as well um, you know again I take I take responsibility that we weren't as safe as we could be this year but you know again uh, we need to work together to make sure that you know, every runner is safe and that includes making sure you have the proper gear. So beyond that, um, man, um, you know, I, I, I talked about on Strava and, and some folks uh, made a comment. I got back to, you know, back to, uh, training for, for Bigfoot this weekend. Um, and, uh, I ran with one of my runners, um, he's, he's doing Western States coming up. So, uh, we did part, I did part of the art lobe. He did the entire art lobe trail, which is a 30 mile trail with about somewhere between eight and 9,000 feet of gain. Um, and so I, I got through just over 14 miles with him and I peeled off. I had a route in mind to get back to my car, but I didn't look at my map and I took a wrong turn. Um, and, uh, the trail got really bad and it would have been, you know, uh, it would have been looking at my map at that point, it would have been tougher to go back than, than, well, in my mind, what it looked like to bushwhack over to the next trail. Um, and so I turned on my, um, my tracker. Um, I let my wife know that I needed a, a pickup because I was already at 22 miles and much past the time that I really wanted to be on my feet that day. Um, and, uh, and then, you know, let her know my tracking device was on so she could see where I was and kind of give me some, some guidance in case I was getting off trail. But, um, I started bushwhacking and, and it was just, uh, just really rough between, uh, the, uh, I call it river cane, uh, cause I was down in, uh, by the Davidson river, uh, and the, uh, mountain laurel, it just got really, really tough. So we, you know, we talk about safety, uh, thunderstorm rolled in overhead, um, you know, thankfully I had, um, enough gear on me in case, um, something happened. You know, I always carry an emergency blanket. Um, I've got a, you know, a rain shell in my pack just in case. Um, so I had stuff to hunker down in case I, you know, I had to get out of the storm, but, um, you know, it was just, um, uh, a lapse on my part, you know, not recognizing or taking the moment to stop and look at my map to make sure I was making the right turn, which obviously I did not. So, um, but, um, you know, that, that was, uh, uh, just a, a mental lapse on my part. So I understand, you know, when I talk about safety, uh, cause you know, I know a number of the runners said, well, I had my jacket in my pack. I just, I didn't know it or I didn't think about it. Um, so, you know, it's, it's, um, it's, you know, having that, uh, recognition that you need to use your, the gear you have, um, you know, to, you, to go into your pack and see what you have to help the scenario the situation. So, but, um, but as I said, it was great to, to kind of get back out. Um, I've been, uh, been back on the treadmill, um, kind of, uh, doing my incline hiking. Um, so if you see, uh, kind of a upload from the treadmill, that's, you know, going back onto the, the incline, I'm doing, uh, 18 to 20%, um, treadmill hiking at about four miles per hour right now. Um, and I'm, I'm watching some, some great movies, which have really given me some, some introspection and some motivation and inspiration. Um, I finished chasing 400, which was, uh, a journey to the, uh, the grand slam, uh, the Justin, um, K 
Kimmer, I think his last name was. Forgive me if that's not the right name, but Chasing 400. He did Old Dominion, Western States, Leadville, and uh, Wasatch. And uh, it was, you know, it was tremendous watching uh, not only his efforts, but the support that he had from his family. That's what really, really touched me. Um, you know, as you all know, my family is a huge part of my running. Uh, their support means the world to me. Um, you know, seeing my daughter's uh, admiration of, of what I do, um, you know, just getting a, a hug from my son or seeing a concerned look on his face when I get into an aid station. Um, I just, I know they care. Uh, and, the, and the other was uh, um, Where Dreams Go to Die and Gary Robbins' story of, of the two years of Barkley in which he, you know, failed to finish the second being only six seconds away and, and entering uh, from the wrong direction. Uh, which you know resulted in him not finishing uh, on the fifth lap, but you know seeing his wife um, and how much you know she cared and meant and believed in him. Um, I know I have the same scenario. I know my wife is behind me um, 100%. And I just you know I was walking and and in my mind uh, you know Bigfoot I I, I had just I can. I had this affirmation that I can, I can do this. I can do 200 miles. I can, you know, I can continue to train and put forth what I need to, to get 200 miles in. But just as we, as I saw with Gary, um, there's no definitive finish. Um, you know, just like there wasn't that hellbender, um, for a number of folks, you know, there's no, um, certainty of finish. We can only, Try to control the variables um, that are presented to us. And then at Bigfoot, it could be a number of things. It could be heat. It could be um, rain. Um, you know, the, it could be the, the lava fields and the sharp rocks. There's a number of things that, you know, can take you out of a race, uh, especially one as long and, uh, you know, arduous as Bigfoot. I, I'm, you know, I, I'm, that's part of the challenge. That's part of what I look forward to. And I think that um, Ethan Newberry, you know, in the film, um, he, he really put it succinctly, uh, at the end of the film, there was a screen and it says, this is dedicated to those that brace, that embrace the impossible. This is dedicated to those that embrace the impossible. Now I, I, again, I don't look at Bigfoot as something impossible. So maybe, um, I'm interpreting it wrong, but you know, it is something that could be highly improbable. And that's the way I look at it is I am embracing the highly improbable and I am um, acknowledging to myself, I'm giving myself the confidence and the grace to understand that my body can carry me for that distance. I believe in myself. Um, you know, there's, I, I, I've never really looked at or felt this towards a race. Uh, and, and perhaps it's just the magnitude of the event. Perhaps it's the, the distance of the event, the challenges that are going to be presented throughout the event. But, you know, this is the first time I've really acknowledged that, yes, I, I believe that I can do this. Uh, you know, I've, I've had, had that conversation with myself or that even that thought, you know, before, um, you know, it wasn't like um, even my first hundred there, you know, it, it was just, you know, this is this is what I got to do. And I, you know. Um, I, I didn't think about whether my abilities could carry me through it. And perhaps it's just my age and, and reflection, but, you know, the, on, on more, 
uh, introspection. Uh, you know, when I think about things, I just, I'm, I'm confident. I'm confident I can do this. Now, again, that's one thing. <laughs> Confidence is one thing. Belief is one thing. But, you know, the, the reality of, of execution, that's the reality, right? That's what what the unknown is. So, uh, again, I'm just going to try to control the variables I can um, by, you know, by looking at, um, you know, every factor and whether I have, um, you know, the gear and the training to, uh, to get me through those scenarios. Um, I, you know, I, I, I kind of wrote down, a a few things here. Um, and you know, it, it, it came down to, I use the word investment. Um, and I, I, I believe that there are three investments. Um, I believe that there, you know, first is an investment in me and that investment is in my training. Um, you know, and that incorporates, you know, everything within my life. Like, am, am I doing everything in my life to put myself in the best situation to finish this race? So, um, you know, again, in Strava, uh, I, I mentioned that I had a conversation with my doctor, um, in that I just wasn't, I wasn't satisfied with the way things were going so far as my lifestyle. I tried to make changes within my dietary habits and such, but it just didn't seem to be working. So um, we thought outside the box. And um, those of you that know me know I'm like, I'm a proponent of doing what's best for my body, but I seek the advice of others and the counseling of others to make sure it, it's going to benefit me in the way that uh, that will have a positive uh, outcome. And so, you know, even with um, the, you know, I'll, I'll say the controversy of uh, certain dietary habits, we still felt, and I, I, I'll, I'll talk a little bit more extensively about this, but um, we felt that going towards um, fat adaption, not for long term, but using fat adaption for a bit might help me make gains in um, not only my dietary habits, but, you know, my, my physical well-being. Um, I've, you know, I've had this weight on me that, you know, it's, it's like ever since COVID, um, I just, uh, you know, I've, I've put on God, uh, about 15 pounds, you know, 15 pounds. That's a lot of weight to carry up and down mountains. Um, you know, I, 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 I always say, I try not to be overly concerned with, with body weight. You know, I don't want it to be like something that, that drives every decision, but, as, as I said, that's a lot of weight, 15 pounds. Now, if it was five pounds, I wouldn't be as conscious about it because as training ramps up, that would come off pretty easily. But 15 pounds, there's something, you know, um, now part of it is that my, my metabolism has slowed down. I'll be 45 this year. I recognize that. But, you know, um, we felt that with fat adaptation, I would cut out a lot of the processed foods and sugary treats and desserts and, you know, other um uh, extra calories that I don't need in my diet. You know, I, it, it didn't seem that I could control my diet well enough, um, in what I was doing. Um, you know, I, I didn't have the, uh, the discipline is the reality or the willpower. Uh, I'm just being honest, uh, to, to make the changes, to just cut those out. So with fat adaptation, it's forced me 
to cut those things out. It's made me reconcent of what, um, what is, what am I consuming? How much am I consuming and what is in it? Um, I've, I've switched to more, um, you know, whole foods, realist, uh, real food, you know, just not getting processed foods. In other words, I've, uh, I've eliminated so much processed foods from my diet. I can't say that there's honestly much processed. Um, yeah, I mean, there's some stuff that are in packages, but it is, you know, it's whole food, uh, like nuts for instance, or, um, you know, vegetables that, you know, uh, frozen vegetables or something like that. Um, but you know, it's, it's, it's really, uh, I can feel the difference. I'm a weekend. Um, as I record this and, um, you know, um, I was 177, um, 173 today. Uh, and it's just because of those minor changes, but I also feel better running. Uh, those of you that have been listening, I just haven't been feeling great over the last few months. Um, but now I, I do, I feel better. I'm, I'm hydrating more. Um, and again, just real cognizant of what I'm consuming. And that's made a, a, a huge difference. And, and, you know, it may not be the fat adaptation. It may just be the fact that I'm eating cleaner. Like, I recognize that as well. But the fact that I'm eating cleaner, for now, it's, 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 it's serving the purpose of what I need. Um, and, that, and that's what I talk to my doctor about. Now, we're in constant communication. I'm letting him know, here's how I'm feeling. Here's how things are. Here's what I'm weighing. Um, you know, so we are in communication. I'm not doing this alone. And my wife is on board. My wife is also a physician. Okay. For those of you who don't know, my wife is a family physician. So she's monitoring my diet as well. So I have two doctors that are overlooking this, um, and watching what I'm doing and how I'm doing it. Uh, I'm still eating my normal nutrition when I go for my runs. So when I go out and run, I'm still consuming my normal, you know, uh, gels and, and chews and all that stuff. Um, that there's, there's no change there because that's my race food. That's what I use. So it's, it's my daily uh, eating when I say this. So that's, that's been a major, major change in, you know, and it, it, it was cold Turkey. Uh, you know, my doctor suggested it on, uh, I, uh, I probably on a, uh, maybe on a, <laughs> I don't remember, but the next day I just went for it. Uh, I've done this before. I've done this in the past. Um, you know, I, I did it for a while in 2016. It seemed to work really well, but you know, if I'm being real, it's hard, <laughs> it's hard because you look at things and you're like, Nope, I can't eat that. You know, that's, that's difficult. You know, I love food <laughs> and I, you know, I, I love carbohydrates. Um, and, and a lot of that is, it's tough to make that sacrifice, but you know, um, I, I, I'll realize that it's, you know, it's helping me and it's, I'm hoping it helps me achieve my goal. Because carrying less pounds, I'll be more efficient out on the trail. I will feel better out on the trail, and I am eating better. So that will help me feel better as well. Now, will I stay on this through Bigfoot? I, I don't know. I don't, you know, I, I need to have that conversation. And we're, we're, again, we're tracking this and seeing how it goes. I'm an N of one, okay? I'm an experiment, and I'm telling you what I'm doing. Right or wrong, this is the, the avenue we chose because you know, the other things that I tried just didn't work for me. And this seems to be working again. I'm only a weekend, but for this week, you know, as I said, my runs have felt better. I am losing weight. I do feel better. Um, so, so far so good. Um, but so, yeah, so an investment in me back to the investment so that, you know, I've invested in myself. I've, I've committed time to training, 
Um, you know, I'm, I'm getting my time on feet in, um, you know, strength training. I'm, I'm working on working mobility back in, getting on the foam roller, et cetera, getting all that stuff. I'm working on that because things are starting to um, reduce in my time commitments. So, you know, I, I still have things that I'm buttoning up with Hellbender. Um, and, you know, we're buttoning up track here. We've got states this week, but everything's coming to a close. And so my time is, is freeing up. And so I can invest more time um, in my training and in myself. Um, my second investment is uh, my family's investment in me um, and my investment in my family. Uh, as I said earlier, they are my world. They are, you know, everything to me and my commitment to them is far beyond anything that, you know, I could commit to running or anything else. So they're, they're, you know, they're in their return and their return of love for me and their investment to me. I, I feel, um, I feel I can commit to this race because I know that they're behind me. I know that they're invested in me and investing in seeing me get to the finish line. So that means the world to me, you know, having that commitment and that investment, uh, you know, both in me and them and them and me, it's just tremendous. And finally, um, you know, the, the reciprocal investment I have from the community, from you all, from my listeners, from my friends, from my training partners, um, from family members, you know, it, it's, it's great, you know, that, um, you know, I, I can reach out to you or you can reach out to me that we have that, uh, that bond, you know, we have this community that, uh, it's just wonderful because we want success for each other. As I talked about in, in Hellbender and wanting success for every finisher, you know, it, it's, it goes beyond that. It goes, I, I want to see success for my athletes that I coach. I want to see success for my friends, um, you know, that have their events or their challenges coming up, but they return that and they reciprocate it to me. So having that, it's just, everything strengthens what I feel right now. And I thank everybody for that. It's tremendous. Um, so, you know, things are moving along and I'm really happy. Um, and I hope you are doing well. I hope your training goes well. Um, I, I've been talking with a lot of new athletes that want to come on board. Um, if you want to have that conversation about coming on board for coaching, don't hesitate to reach out and reach out through whatever avenue is easiest for you. You can visit my website, mrrunningpains.com. There's a contact me um, you know, link in there. Uh, you can reach me through Strava, through social media, whatever's easiest for you. So if you want to have that conversation, uh, I would love to. So I, I, and I thank you for those that have reached out and some people were very patient because I said, I have to get through Hellbender first. So I thank the folks that did that. I also thank my Patreon supporters, um, you know, it, 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 in recognition of everything that's going on. Um, you know, I've, I've tried to keep this podcast consistent and I tried to present material that, you know, hopefully uh, resonated or brought something to light for you. Uh, I hope you're enjoying this podcast. Um, I'm excited about my conversations. I have a great conversation next week with four people that ran Hellbender, but we're going to talk diversity and inclusion. Um, these are four people from dif different ethnic, uh, backgrounds. And, you know, uh, here I am, uh, white male. I, uh, you know, I am the, I'll just say I'm the majority of what you'll see at an ultra race, but these folks are, I would say more like pioneers. They're trying to, um, get folks to recognize that we need to diversify ultra running. We need it to, uh, to look different. We need to have, you know, 
different, like I said, ethnicities, races, everybody involved in this this great sport of ours. So we're going to have a conversation about that, and I'm really excited for it um, because I want to learn how can I, you know, help make this happen in so, in stuff like Hellbender, right? How can I make Hellbender more diverse? Not only having more women, which we did this year, and I was really impressed with how many women showed up and, and, and ran this race. Um, but how can we involve everyone, right? That's the conversation that we're going to have next week. So, um, stay tuned for that. Uh, the newsletter, um, it looks like I will probably just get uh, a May, June, uh, newsletter out with wrapping up hellbender and the track season and everything else. I just haven't had a spare moment, honestly, uh, to work on it. So, um, my apologies to all for that. Um, so June will have, uh, two months worth. <laughs> um, so that will come out, you know, around June 1st. So my apologies to everybody. If you haven't subscribed to the newsletter, you can also do so on my website, mrrunningpains.com. You'll see a link to subscribe to the newsletter. Um, feel free to join. It is free. I try to do it monthly. Um, obviously things come up and, and, you know, force me not to, but, um, but yeah, so that, that will be coming out. If, and again, if you have questions about anything, you know, about training or running or you know, anything I can answer, uh, something you want to talk about on the podcast or a guest you want to hear on this podcast, please feel free to reach out. It's, uh, it's, it's my pleasure to, to answer questions, to, uh, to bring on guests and, and hear from, from some special people. So, um, but again, I thank you for your time, for, for listening. Um, and for those that comment and ask questions, thank you. Um, it it really, it helps me grow and it helps this podcast grow. Um, so thank you all so much. And until next time, keep running my friends.